0: Hello and good morning and welcome to this
1: edition of the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Brent, and me, Adam. And today we're going to be cancelling ourselves, so it seems. So we're apologising right now if this is going to be our last show, should we offend anybody, because uh, we are going to be discussing cancel culture in the classroom. So apologies up front if we offend anybody, but this is today's Sunday Lunch Show.
0: Okay, well, good. I'll, I'll correct Brent. It's a good afternoon. Yeah, I think it's because we've been on half term, it feels like uh, morning, maybe. Yeah. Um, but Brent is uh, slapping away on some uh, chewing gum. Trying to so, get rid of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic kind of. Uh, are you chewing? No, sir. I'm not chewing. <laughs> oh, man. He's just looking at the table as well. Old school kind of Grange Hill um, activity going on. But. Um, so you given up some stuff for Brent? Uh, for Lent, Brent. I've given, up, I've given up some Brent for Lent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've,
1: yeah, definitely given up some Brent for Lent. So yes, I've uh, I've done the, the, the usual Lent trick of crisps, chocolate, sweets, and anything that's pretty much naughty. Um, so that's my Lent. So that was my this week as well. I had my ashes in a car park. Quite surreal. Hmm. Drive-by Catholic ashes in a, in, in a car park outside my school, which is, which is interesting. So it's one of the days in the year when, when uh, I obviously revealed myself to be a practicing Catholic. And uh, boom, I come the, the two girls and I were walking around most of uh, Derbyshire with um, dirty foreheads yeah. for, for for Wednesday. Of course, we had the pancakes on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, fully recommend pancakes homemade with some lemon. Yeah. And uh, we, we're lucky we got lemon, because apparently lemon seems to be running out. Yeah,
0: yeah. So. Uh, yeah, we, 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 I don't know if pancakes go with turnips or <laughs> <laughs> well, grated turnips on top. We went for the American style, actually. I kind not prefer them with a bit of baking powder and puff them up a little bit, so you have the little, little the, the short ones. Oh, and you know what word do we use to do that? Is it, are they enormous? Are they wide? Are they large? Are they? We've got to find the word. Did you have them.
1: some rather? Big fat pancakes? Well, I, I, would,
0: I would have called them fat, but maybe that's not the word. And um, that's sort of part of the discussion today is about kind of the use of language um, and how we use it in the classroom and... Also, how we kind of reinterpret the literature that we have in the classroom as well. I was just that's been the debate this week about from from Roald Dahl. and uh, we want to kind of get that uh, get that debated today. That's our big question of today. Um, but interesting, our colleague or uh, well, your colleague, sorry, but our pre- on our previous show, Mister um, Metacognition. Yeah. Also, that for Brent, so, so you don't get uh, tongue tied. Not metacognition. as <laughs> I always call it. Yeah. Yeah. Metacognition. Yep, yeah. So so my my story is going to be. That, um, you know, he's written a really interesting article in this uh, in today's test uh, online about you know, is it time to ditch exit tickets? And um, you know, so I'm going to give that a go because he's right in some respects. You know, why are we leaving these hinge questions or big questions at the end of the lesson? Why aren't we dealing with them inside the lesson rather than? waiting till afterwards and finding out that maybe some people didn't Do you hear the irony get, get is it, yeah. The irony is, 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 is I was going to
1: adopt exit tickets. <laughs>
0: okay, because, well, I, th- I think they have a purpose and they're good for um retrieval maybe and they're good for just a summary I mean I use them really as a summary of the lessons so a couple of key questions yeah I wouldn't use them as kind of a uh, it's it's all going to hang on this right at the end if you've got this right you can go because what was it if you got it wrong what was it if you don't do hear the second irony the yeah. second irony is that both myself and Mr Mr metacognition had
1: CPD before we had an inset and in that inset we had one of our guest speakers saying about the power of exit oh, tickets oh he's uh, <laughs>
0: this <together.
1: laughs> But isn't this the beautiful thing about education and yeah. pedagogy, is, is that you 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 end up sort of, uh, what works for one doesn't work for another, but you know, it's, it's goose for the gander, isn't it? And, yeah. and it's that kind of aspect of what you adopt, whatever strategy you adopt, as long as you're consistent yeah. with it. And, and it works within the context. And I think subjects work sometimes. Yeah. But what was interesting about what was said in, in that CPD was the one, one, t- one exit ticket I took away from, from the hours spent listening to those individuals. Was that apparently doing an exit ticket, like writing down a list, it helps the memory even six months later. And then, and I thought that idea of like it's very easy, quick way of doing an exit ticket. Bang, the the students then recall the knowledge because you're. And I would equate it to back when we I was teacher training all those years ago, we were incessantly taught to plenarize. Yeah. remember remember the three yeah, the part plenari, lesson yeah, yeah. and you had to always do like a 10 minute plenary and yeah. every observation I ever got was always like you know the 15 minute starter, the squeezed main yeah, yeah. And, the, and the afterthought that was the plenary and I used to have one of my colleagues who was an absolute brilliant teacher and we used to call him Mr. Plenarize because basically <laughs> he came to observe you. he was a senior manager you knew you had to do a 15 minute plenary he did a plenary on the plenary yeah. you know which is kind of like ridiculous when you think about it but we had we were drummed into it remember we had the three-part lesson yeah it was yeah
0: definitely It was. And it's, there's loads of things that have kind of i've seen some really good stuff this week as well about um the other thing that was rammed into us when we were first training was the learning styles thing there's been some uh, v- I, 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 I visual remember, auditory and yeah. kinesthetic I can't, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember who it is on twitter that keeps posting the stuff but he's done some really good stuff on on thank goodness this is all gone now in terms of the start because, Brain because yeah, the all, all that stuff, but <laughs> oh, yeah, but we, we go round and um, you know I'm sure that uh, we'll go round again. I love uh, my phrase Socrates. In the end of the day, what he did 2000,
1: 2,400 years ago, asking questions, fundamentally pedagogy doesn't change that much. The Aboriginals are passing down their knowledge for forty thousand years, yeah. from grandparent to grandchild, telling their stories orally. Mm. So somewhere along the line, people pick that up. You mean people learn and, and I I think our brains, the way they are, our human brains, have not evolved in the last hundred thousand years or so, mm. which is one of the reasons why we still have lots of human behaviours we can't fully understand because yeah. we're hotwired to be those those individuals that are still running around in caves. Um, But that's not the beautiful thing about we we sometimes come up with new strategies and you realise, actually, that's not a new strategy. we have been doing that all along. Or somebody puts a name to something that you've been doing almost by instinct as common sense, and you're like, oh, deliberate practice. What's deliberate practice? Oh, that's deliberate practice. We've done that all
0: along. Stop making this up. I mean, part of, I mean, we'll go back to the telling of stories. um, And I'm, I'm a big fan of just actually... Most of this holiday, I've been reading uh, the Twenty One Questions uh, for the New Century. I think it's called by um, Harari. I forget his name. I'll, I'll load it up in a minute. I'll load it up in a minute. But the the guided Sapiens and deus and oh, yeah. the, the, the Twenty Four Lessons. And um, you know, he he always says about the, the narrative and the storytelling and how important that is. And I guess that links into well, it links into some of what we're talking today about you know, what, how important the words are within these stories and how they may, they may get passed down generations. Or maybe some generations may think it's okay to say certain words in different contexts, um, you know, because we've all got, you know, older parents, uncles, oh. aunties that, you know, don't necessarily mean any harm by no. what they're saying. However, they are using words that wouldn't be used. I often in the classroom will actually turn around and say,
1: "You know, have you had this conversation with your grandparents mm. or your parents?" And the children sort of wince and say, "You know." And I've had children say to me, "You know, Mr. Mr. Poland, as, as my grandfather I says, no, don't call your grandfather racist. He's from a certain time, mm. and in that time, and even had the conversation with my own parents. There's there's always that struggle, but then in turn." Did my parents have the same conversation with their parents? You had the same conversation with their parents. Yeah, yeah. And you go all the way back. Yeah, yeah. Is this a normal cycle of human evolution mm. that times change, some people change with it, and some people refuse? And and as educators, what we are constantly charged with doing is, just, just, is, is updating just, ourselves yeah, yeah. and refreshing ourselves. Yeah. I think we always have a foot in both camps, yeah. don't we? We're trying to we're trying to be of the generation we are, but at the same time we're trying to teach a generation that sometimes we struggle to understand. Yeah. But then that's the crux of being a good educator is, is trying to bridge that gap between yeah. understanding what's going on in their brains, yeah. but then sometimes not compromising and saying, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, we're not this is not for budging. They, they, there has to be some red lines. Yeah. There has to be some things where you say, I'm more than willing to compromise on some things, but these are things that I won't compromise on yeah. because these are eternal. Yeah. And the, the relationship between, for instance, the teacher to the pupil, yes, the, the pupil has to be the pupil and the teacher has to be the teacher. Right. And sometimes I think those lines get... Get blurred when students can get very you know, I know better than you, and you think, okay, maybe you might have some ideas there, and maybe sometimes they do. Yeah. But they've got to understand that power dynamic, they've got to understand the dynamic of what the purpose and function of school is. Yeah. And, and these these stories this week actually start to show that maybe that's shifting. You know, we as educators are now not as sort of seen as educators any longer, we're being questioned. And and I do worry in the future about people educating themselves without that um medium of us to try and weave through it and because yeah. part of our job is to sometimes make things relevant yeah. update and pick, things,
0: and pick, and pick through things because we we had many lectures didn't we? I remember we had one lecture that was very pro uh, us being more of the facilitator uh, rather than the kind of old-school, dogmatic teacher yeah. uh, that there was that the lesson should be more open to interpretation by people and us as teachers almost like a, a conductor almost kind of weaving our way through it and listening to everyone's point of view and processing all that very quickly and interpreting it back to them in a way, using the literature that we know to kind of say, well, actually, that may be true. It's the stimulants, isn't it?
1: It's it's also having the gatekeeper of that because that's what our job is, is to expose the children to that material. Our job is to organise the curriculum. Our job is to choose the material that they want to learn from so we have to then have a criteria a rationale and say why am i choosing and that comes to the game the crux of the matter today of, what is what is what is behind the teacher's choice to choose a certain literature um has the government sort of said you must teach these books and if you must teach these books then the autonomy of the teachers not there to say i know what my students need and there has been a little bit of that in the last couple yeah. of years where we'll have a look and we'll discuss the english uh, the english curriculum have a look at the, the history curriculum but what we're going to do now is we're going to go through a couple of the news stories this week, yeah. um, and then we'll I, have Well,
0: I, our... I just want to say one yeah. thing. I, I, it's part of my half-term is, um, is we, we're we like four or five days into a game of Monopoly, and uh, I, I'm thinking I'm going to be playing Monopoly when I get back to school with the kids, because what the lessons we've learned around kind of social policy, education, economics, business, um, you know, liberalised thought, liberalised processes... It's just been fantastic. So um, I'm definitely pro kind of gaming and stuff, um, or using the old school board games as, well, as, well, as an access access point. To lots I got of,
1: myself into trouble this week.
0: What I hope home? Yeah, I was playing um,
1: Mario Kart <laughs> and and I kept winning. Yeah, and I refused to allow my seven year old to win. I'm not. I'm not doing it. Yeah, I'm not having my seven year old win. She's got to learn that she's. If she wants to beat me, she's gonna to have to learn to evolve. Same way, she's gonna to have to use that brain of hers, that ma- fantastic, fast learning brain. But but she was like, I'm gonna give up because daddy's winning,
0: and, and I, I was gloating. Yeah, I was gonna say, were you running around with the shirt over
1: the? Ah, uh, uh, well, you like know, little, like she she, she, or... she nearly beat me once. She nearly yeah. beat me once, and, and 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 then you know I picked her in the last corner, and and the, but there was a feeling of when she does win, when she does win, she actually was like that was that felt good. Yeah. But I was being put under pressure to like, oh, that's not going to encourage her to take part in the game. And I thought, actually, no, she's got to learn how to lose. Yeah. She's got to learn how to overcome the challenge. Got to learn that sometimes it doesn't go your way. Yeah. What are you going to do about that? Yeah. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to give up? Are you going to give in? Or, or am I going to make it easy for you? No, I'm not going to make yeah. it easy for you. But your job is to beat. Yeah. Your job is, I challenge you. Your job is to beat me
0: now. Yeah. And it's very, very kind of the, the big thing at the minute is about stretch stretching challenges in, in schools. And yeah, but I guess it's important for the stretch to be achievable at some point. I think that, 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 Well, that's your that's your, Z, that's your
1: scaffolding and yeah, your but, ZPD. Otherwise, it never gets correct. To, yeah. I mean, can she can she beat me playing Mario Kart? Of course she can, yeah. and, and 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 that's the whole point. And I know what I'm doing with that, but but I felt under pressure of like, oh, and I, and I did make a glib comment of yeah. like, does everybody win here? Does everybody look look at look at one to fifteen does does Mario and Bowser they all come first? No, there's got to be somebody who's winning and somebody who's not winning. Yeah. But the challenge there is that you have to come up with strategies and tactics. And I can see the next day. Here's the irony: the next day she came to me and she says, "Daddy, can we play Mario Kart?" And guess what? Guess what happened? Sure. She won. Good go. But you know, you have to. This is our problem now as educators. We're trying to please everybody, yeah. and we're trying to make everybody like so. We're we're almost removing too many barriers. Sometimes we're making things far too easier i think and, and therefore when when it comes to a proper challenge i don't think there's a resilience or stoicism there and the same can happen for instance when you have the new interpretation of some of these these classical books if you make them more accessible okay more people might read them but then where's the challenge in that where's the enjoyment of working it out I you say puzzles games puzzles games and challenges are often brilliant for the mind i mean that's remember those brain, brain trainer things about 10 years ago you used to get the, was it dr such and such these yeah podcasts, do,
0: yeah on the, the, well it was on the uh, was it nintendo ds mm. it came out on the nintendo
1: ds there's it? a lot of learning in yeah. gaming isn't there there's a lot of learning in, in overcoming things mm. so that was my week where i you know i um, had Prince of mario
0: yeah, kart you know and the, the other interesting thing i had this week was um, i took my girls down to london and we sat in the um, house of Parliament Wow! and we went to the gallery at the commons and there was a really interesting uh, bill actually through a second reading. Get the cultural capital on you. Yeah, cultural, cultural capital cashing it in, um, and they were they were genuinely interested. Actually, I mean, obviously, once they got over the kind of the site, it's the classic thing, isn't it? Oh, this looks smaller than it does on TV. Um, it wasn't a bit. What the chamber wasn't before at all, uh, largely because I think the bill was largely being rubber stamped. Uh, but it's a second bill on employment rights, particularly around flexible learning. Fre- sorry, flexible um, employment, yeah. employment. And uh, it's interesting, the amendment that's been made to the employment bill is about the uh, of the right of an employee to request flexible learning. Mm. Flex- I don't know why I keep doing this. Flexible, learning. flexible I think it's because Wednesdays coming up when we think about a kind of setting work. <laughs> uh, but the um, flexible working hours. So it'd be interesting to know how that fits with the public sector, you know, can teachers, for example, request flexible learning, and then the school would have to. I mean, I, I presume they would say no. I think but, to, but, to but, solve the recruitment yeah, retention. But they, crisis, but they would yeah. have to. They would have to listen to that conversation. I think that maybe there might be over the next couple of years more and more people. it might be that political mass thing. Yeah. If more and more people keep because reco- they're changing the law, if more and more people request flexible learning. I don't get Flexible earning, no, flexible working. Flexible working. What am I doing? Um, But then would that, here's the interesting thing, would that be up to
1: individual trusts? Because the thing is now, individual trusts can set their own, and you know, their own pay scales. Yeah, yeah. But well, it might be interesting because I know we had this conversation. Well, could you imagine that recruitment? That you, you saw last week the recruitment thing of like, do you want to come blood, sweat and tears, blood and guts <laughs> in Sheffield?
0: Easy, easy. You know what
1: I mean? Are you willing to sacrifice your life? You know what I mean? It was, it was almost like, are you willing to join up and, and, yeah. and go to war? You know? Yeah. Um, join up, join up, come, come join the, the great battle. And That's what that was a, a rallying cry. Are you hard? Are, I mean, I was like, Come on, if you think if you're hard enough to do this job. I mean, basically, <laughs> c- wasn't c- that... c- come on,
0: I go, you think you're hard enough. Yeah, well, that was you
1: know, <laughs> half time at Norwich uh, yeah. uh, on, on, a, on a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, it felt
0: like one of those like 1990s, you know, when they used to do the football managers thing. Yeah, but you first saw the cameras, was it Barry Fry or something? Yeah, in the, in the, in the dressing room. And he's just swearing and cursing. Uh, cursing do you, do you cursing think you're, do you
1: think you're hard enough for the school do you think you're committed enough yeah. do you think you, you are you hardcore enough? <laughs> it was like the American military are, was, or yeah. like your country needs you, you yeah, know, yeah. if you've got them if you've got it if come you've in, got it, yeah yeah and, and yeah. you were saying you felt that the, hit, the well, way that no, it's, way it's, had it's interesting I
0: kind of I kind of went for a um, afternoon walk with the, the teacher who's retired now and kind of just catching up with him. and he read it completely differently he read it as a maybe it's a guy who's, he's had it of himself the guy that's actually wrote the article. There's a shortage of anger, A lot of anger, kind of being, kind of put into that. That maybe he just was so sick of the whole situation, or continually recruiting, maybe, or that he's always had like a at um, a moment, and he's just kind of blasted it on, not thinking there'd be the bit. Well, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe he wants to make a point. Maybe, maybe. Of, of this, this is so ridiculous. Or maybe this is a way
1: to manage the rest of his staff. Right? Yeah. I mean, I imagine if I'm one of the people in his staff room, because. You should internally appoint sometimes, shouldn't you? What's that really saying? If I worked in that school, what would you saying? Is sorry, none of you currently working here could actually do that. Yeah. To go outside and say that, you know, would you, would you, would you knock around a couple of your staff members and say, look, this is our school. You want to be at the yeah. school. You want to be here. Yeah. You love this place look, step up, I want one of you yeah. to be a senior manager, or, or, or and this is what yeah, I want from you. Or me.
0: he is internally recruiting, and he just wants to put a ridiculous advert oh. out there. To, you, just, you just don't know what... I mean, I'd love the... I'd love... I don't mean, he probably is pretty sick of all the, all the publicity that... Yeah. If, you, if, if you'd like to come on the show and talk about kind of... I admire him for yeah, doing Yeah. It. yeah I you know, actually of, do. Of the, of the reasons why, maybe, uh, that advert's kind of... Went, but it is interesting like, how it got
1: some people sort of like, this is what a modern job is. I'm not going to deny that some of what I've done in my last 19 years in the school I've worked in has gone above and beyond what you'd expect a normal teacher to do. But what I will say is I have got that back in bucket loads from the the joy in the classroom to the, the school trips with the kids to a longevity of a career that people don't always have these days and staying in one place. And that's one of the reasons why I have, because it's a vocation, not a vacation. And that was always... One of the mantras of the school culture of where I am at was was also its service above self. You put you put others' needs, but that's a breaking point now. And I've had a lot of my colleagues now are almost talking about work to rule, or silently quitting. Yeah, silently quitting is kind of. But that, that's just. Not, and maybe that's a reaction to possibly yeah, this, this culture of the, silently
0: quitting. But I think it's a culture generally across. It's not. I don't think it's uh, exclusive to teachers. No, I think that's that's an issue that we've got in this country just generally about management culture. You know, in the UK, and uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, the, the politicians. Um, there was the um, the guy, at the union from the uh, public service body was on. Um, mm. Laura Coombsberg right. this morning, mm. and she was talking about the amount of uh, complaints that have gone in from the civil service about their their the environments. Yeah. Environment. Now, I think there's a genuine. Dominic Ralph was also on the uh, yeah. was on Coonsburg today, and I, I, I looking at it. Was he defending I, I, himself? I don't think he. I don't think he's defending himself anymore because I don't, I don't think I think he genuinely doesn't think he's done anything wrong. That's that's the, that's the. He looks like a man. He doesn't look bothered at all. He looks like a man who doesn't feel like he's done anything wrong. So maybe there's this um, misunderstanding of let's let's, let's let's give let's give him his juice at the minute. There's a misunderstanding of what he feels is demanding and what other people yeah. see as as uh, bullying. I mean, th- there are obviously clear cases of bullying, in some cases that have been dealt with. I know John Burkow and a few others. Yeah, the you know, speaker, yeah. They, they actually got, that went through the um, review, didn't? And it yeah. was it did came out that he, he had. Um, he'd overstepped the mark. He'd overstep the mark. But, um, so it'd be interesting to see how that plays out, about this, this, this line between uh, being demanding but being, isn't being, that
1: interpretation and that's what we're talking about yeah, today, yeah we are talking is about
0: interpretation yeah. because what somebody might turn around and say is hot housing
1: or um for instance again you're down to you know i play with the kids i play with the kids a little bit more rough yeah um because i'm you know that's the way i was brought up yeah you know i, I take the girls out to play football yeah. they fall over what am i gonna do am i gonna you know get back up yeah now, that could be seen as being a bit harsh parenting. That's, mm. that's not. That's that's what's natural to me. Yeah. But that's where you have the conversations, don't you, as, yeah. as, as partners when you go, well, okay, well, how are we going to raise our children? We yeah. want our children to be strong and resilient, yeah. but we want them also to be emotionally sort of well-adjusted. Yeah. And it's the same with our children in school. You know, we, we want the fine balance between having children who are resilient, but also children that can feel safe. Mm. And all the stuff that we're seeing here, all these news stories are showing, certainly there's not the balance there at the moment. There's either one extreme to the other extreme. Yeah. And I think, and that's the problem we're seeing with everything now. There's one way or the other way there yeah. doesn't seem to be compromised. Take for instance, a situation at home. It was locked into a zero sum game. Now you've got one group saying, we want our version of Brexit, and another a group saying they want their version. Of, and I don't want to go down that route too much because obviously that's, you know, it's a bit of a sideline. But it illustrates the point that, you know, in 1990s, we had, you both don't like this deal, you do a deal. Now you have, well, we want our way, you want your way. It's almost like we're in a part of society now where everybody wants their way. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to compromise, and their way is right. And everybody's opinionated about it. And that, this is the thing, everybody's very opinionated about everything. But I don't know if they actually do the thinking any longer. They, they, they sort of formulate the opinion. For me, the, the opinion is formulated first before the evidence is yeah, given. Yeah. And that's something I'm always trying to teach the children about. I do not want your opinion or conclusion until you have waded through these sources, until you've come up with the evidence. Give me your opinion at the end. And often now they don't. Now they have a a formed opinion based upon a very small, minutia of details, which then, obviously, their hypothesis is not open to negotiation because I'm right, you're wrong. And We've seen that with so many things over the last couple of years, haven't we? Um, And I I think this is what we're going to talk about today is exactly the the example. But looking at some of the news stories, let's let's have a look at some some of these news stories, stories, because I think that will also filter into this. Um, Because you have um, this week, you've had um, striking teachers named by school heads. Now, I'm I'm, going to break ranks here. I think this is absolutely disgusting. I think. It's absolutely ridiculous and disgusting. Union head teachers have criticised school leaders who have thrown colleagues under the bus by naming striking teachers in letters to parents or employing agency staff to keep classes open on striking days. The NEU union condemned the naming and shaming of those taking action as appalling and attempted to put pressures on teachers not to make them stand on pay. The NEU says the vast majority of school leaders, and I agree with this, have been supportive of striking staff. Absolutely, head teachers, if you are listening, you are amazing. I think you are absolutely wonderful people, and I think the job that you do is so undervalued. And you have my support in absolutely the majority of things. But if there are head teachers out there that are naming and shaming their staff, who are going on strike, then you are all crossing way over a red line for me. Mary Boosted, the general secretary, said there are heads who have been swayed by heavy guidance from the Department of Education that must keep schools open at all costs and agency staff. Boosted said such pressure was intimidation and bullying and addict. Strong from Mary Boosted. That's very strong from her. Normally, she's quite tapered. Publishing the names of striking teachers is invi- in I can't even say the word. Invidious. Invid-
0: invid- invidious. Yeah.
1: Gosh, terrible. <laughs> I should read something like that before I practice it for uh, The head of a primary academy in North England, who was asked to remain anonymous, warned this might backfire with teachers unwilling to take a job at the school, and that's it. That breaks an unwritten contract. But I want to work for somebody who would be, what, willing to throw me under the bus? Yeah. I'm willing to what? No, I'm sorry. And if I was the union rep in that school, I'd tell you what, there would be a serious conversation to be had with my head teacher, And and that would be, I, I would I would walk. I'm saying no, I'd walk. And I would encourage as many members as staff. But, but more importantly,
0: it's just going to, uh, it's going to destroy, I mean, that, those stuff.
1: What's the morale on that they staff? Can't, for... They
0: can't, I mean... I mean, also, the head is inviting a larger debate there with with the um, with the parents I mean the parents are going to be calling in some, some parents will support some parents won't you can imagine what social like media the, will do yeah, to exactly, those teachers yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: you good, can imagine yeah. the social media pressure yeah. it, on. it just builds
0: a whole storm around
1: and you imagine that the child is write and says you're yeah, one of those teachers that's costing yeah. my education because you're on strike that is, is so out of order it's going to make me more upset talking about it so i'm going to leave that there before i get extremely upset about that because that that is that's beyond appeal but i taper it with the vast majority of head teachers out there are absolutely fantastic and i can only speak on behalf of the ones that i know who have managed the situation in the school strikes completely amicably and completely well within the bounds of, of trying to protect their staff so i i praise the vast majority of head teachers out there who've got a difficult job trying to meet the needs of the learners their staff the community and satisfy the Department of Education at the moment it is a thankless, difficult job, and I thank them for that. But somebody going to go into that lens to criticise their staff publicly like that—what do they say? What do we say? What do we say? It's, it's what do we, it's say? What do we right? say? We say we criticise in private, we praise in public. There's, there's, you practice what you preach. You criticise in private, you, 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 sorry, and you, you praise in public. Um, pupils' absence remain above COVID levels. So, I saw a tweet the other day that had a real, real funny side to it going like 95% attendance. Wouldn't be a miracle? Mm. Remember those days of 95% attendance? What
0: would it be? I mean, there's also there's also been an interesting debate about this about uh, um, if, if it is 95%, and uh, you've seen the one that talked about free school meals. The, 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 school, the schools get the money for free school meals. Yeah. So, therefore, um, they should be having extra money. If, 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 there if, seems to be money
1: gone missing well or, what I
0: not say there's money gone missing but that money might be it might be genuinely used yeah. in, the, in the school but yeah. it's certainly if you're if you're a governor I would have thought it's certainly maybe worth a question isn't it or, or where's where's this money being used? I mean, it might be genuinely. The head might go, "Yep, yeah, absolutely, it's being used for this yeah. resource," and you know, it, and it's, it's absolutely fine. So we're not kind of deliberately saying it's being used for misuse yeah. or whatever. Uh, but we, you know, that, that money should be in should should be in the system somewhere. And in some schools, it can be up to about ten grand. It can't um, have seen that Yeah. yeah. And of the thing is, I think the whole free school meal thing le- needs looked at,
1: especially from from during COVID. Um, I know that, for instance, in our area. Um, there was offer of free school meals, it wasn't communicated to the uh, the, the head teachers of secondary schools and those secondary schools just t- took it up. Yeah. So a company got a contract for free school yeah. meals yeah. and they weren't taken up. Yeah. So what happened to that contract? And, and the, again, yeah. it's like everything that happened during that crisis. The, the, I think the, there's a lot of things need to be learned, yeah. especially about requisitions and public money. And, and certainly you've seen the free school meals plan by Sadiq Karen. We And I wanna go into it too much because we, we discussed that this morning on our, um, our weekly review. Mm-hmm. And our sort of consensus was it seems like a good idea on the surface, but actually if you look beneath the surface, it needs well researched, well thought out. Mm-hmm. It needs the deliberate policy. It needs to be what do we do after the year's funding is up. And what about secondary school pupils? What about pupils who can afford, parents who can afford to pay free school meals? Why should they get a free school meal? And we, we sort of looked at both sides of that, of universality, you know, everybody gets free school meals so everybody then eats. So then you've got your Maslow hierarchy of needs to met. So I think that free school meals is gonna be a long burning. And I think that's gonna become a very, very big political issue come the next general election. I think that'll be something where one side might say, you know, schools don't provide free school meals because that's not your job. Yeah. And there isn't a, a danger of mission creep because we are becoming like an emergency service, social workers, psychologists, teachers, counsellors. What, what are, where is our job these days? You know, where, where do we end? Where does the school responsibility end? which was the theme of Tom's show last week. So a Free School Meals, so and Sally Cannes unveiled his plan for £130 million of um, the academic year, of 2023, 2024, um, but it has its critics. My heart says it's a good idea. My head says it needs well thought. out. Um, vapes are becoming the new Alcopops. So you and I had a joke about this saying that the, this generation's poison seems to be vapes. Yeah. Whereas our generation's poison was cheap cider and Alcopops.
0: Well, it was just, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's really interesting. I'll talk to my daughter about this. And um, she was she was saying that uh, everyone has literally, as the school gates are opened the whole school, the front, the front, then it's like, almost like a steam trail, like a locomotive of (laughs) vapes kind of going down the, going down the road. Um, you know, there was, there was, there was a debate that was meant to be had. I don't know if it ever was about, uh, cause I remember the, one of the companies decided that they were going to advertise or hand out, uh, not free vapes, but kind of heavily discounted vapes outside pride park. And there was criticism of them right at the start. This was years ago. This was five, six years ago. Yeah. And um, the debate really hasn't um, hasn't been had really about uh, schools and uh, young people's health and how they're marketed more at children. Oh, there um, is definite
1: sort of uh, the way the colours, that the, the flavours. Yeah. Um, there is a definite sort of. It's all the, like um, uh, cookies and cream and yeah, pie apple and and, yeah. Every, and everything else. And and I know. There is a definite epidemic of vaping going on, and and what well, I said it before in one of our previous shows that it's not exactly the students you would expect either. Yeah. This is it's you know yes we well, we always had a culture of a certain percentage of kids would smoke, mm. and there was always a correlation between the the social pecking order, of the kids that smoked, <laughs> yeah. and the kids who were a bit more naughty. Yeah, I mean there was there was an element of bad boy bad girl yeah. syndrome. It was like isn't Greece, it? Wasn't it? There was, so, yeah, it was, wasn't it? There was an element of that and, and and I used to have friends in both camps, I used to be around at what we called Smoker's Corner and, yeah. I, and I think I reflect on that. I, how did the teachers not know that was Smoker's Corner? It was like, it was sponsored by Benson and Hedges and, and you know what I mean? And literally there was again, that pipe of smoke and there was always that battle between you know, teachers and, and, and the smokers and they'd shift on somewhere else. Mm. And I remember when I started teaching we used to have that battle, but that has now changed into vaping in the toilets. Yeah. We, we we had to change our toilets because we had students who were trying to stash vapes in toilets. They were they were actually breaking the toilets because they were climbing Store, up. Yeah. they were climbing up and stashing their vapes in the toilets. It's like a prison.
0: <laughs> and then and
1: then literally and, and again and not not the type of students you would have expected. And what's the definition of something that is addictive is when somebody can't do without it. And I think some of our children are becoming addicted to vaping. Now, is it better than smoking? Yeah. But as you rightly say, I don't think it's been fully investigated what the long-term impacts of vaping are. Mm. So everything, I think everything else in excess, something that's that's used a lot is not good for you. And even if it's a lot better than smoking, if they're using it all the time, they wouldn't be smoking 60 Bensons a day, would they, at age 16? They wouldn't have the time. Yeah. But if they're constantly vaping, then I, I think this needs really to be looked into. And, and it's one of those, again, that I think will be a slow-burning issue that will start to, to reach critical mass. Um, of course, the strikes aren't called off this week. We had a little bit of mood music from um, the, the Department of Education saying, please call off the strikes, please call off the strikes and we'll have a little chat with you. And that little chat wasn't really yeah. constructive at all. I think there was a little bit of blame gaming going on of like Last um, lastminute.com of let, let, let's call off your strikes and we'll start talking yeah. rather than here's the deal. have, it, have it. There, were, there was an element of here's the deal, call off your strikes. No, call off the strikes and we'll start to talk over something we've had six so, months' so, notice, so now.
0: So, so, where are you at? Do you, do you think that there'll be a kind of... The the the, the, rate, the rate, sorry the end negotiation will be somewhere around something with the work and conditions on, because there was some movement on that, uh, with a small payment, maybe, or some kind of payments that covers what this was year? Com- what was coming out
1: right? was actually next year's going to be worse. <laughs> so, I mean, it, 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 I don't think... I don't think the message has been fully understood. I don't think that the government is fully understanding what's happening in our schools. Mm. I don't think they fully appreciate it yet, and unless they get a grip of it, I, I can only see this becoming more apart, yeah. pulled
0: apart. Yeah, but if 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 it was tomorrow, if they said, you know, Brent, you can have that's Wednesday. Do you're your admin. You've got a whole day to your admin. Plus, you can have a payment okay. now. Um, to fix the lack of pay for the inflationary increase, and then a levelled inflationary pay next year. Would that be enough? Bus drivers getting eighteen percent. I know, but that's but. but that's, and I'm not. hate, like, hey, bus drivers yeah, are essential yeah. essential yeah. workers, but, and we but, needed but, them during but, COVID. But, but, but as I said, to you, I'm twenty six percent down. So yeah. any chance of a twenty seven percent? But we've had this conversation before, haven't we? About we went in, and this is. This was a criticism. I added criticism of the union mm. that we went in talking about the inf- inflation. Yeah. So therefore, they've tied themselves into that argument with inflation. So therefore, it's going. To be they've digital-
1: also tied themselves into the historical pair. This is why. Yeah, but this is why the only mistake I think my unions make, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical of them, and, I, and it's just I don't understand why this happened. We should have been on strike six
0: months ago. Yes, absolutely. Uh,
1: before really, yeah. because then it looks to the general public that why were we late to the party we're just p- piling on all these others our need is genuine i think certain public sector workers when you look at our pay especially obviously i i, I think nurses that they're, they're unbelievable we saw it during covid mm-hmm. but then again let's not remember Sel, the service that we give during no, COVID. No, no, I understand, I understand and, I, and, that. and for me then, we, we should have been, now I understand why we're such a big, big body of people. Yeah. To get us all, they had to do an indicative ballot and they had to get yeah. 50%. So it comes back to the government again to try and get us over that 50% threshold. Yeah. It took a long time to organise yeah. the union. But that is my only criticism. And and, and I'm sure they would, if, if Daniel or our leave was going to talk about the prospective candidates who are going to be on our yeah. on, on, our uh, radio broadcast on March the 3rd with Tom HB, um, they would say obviously it took a long time to get us all organised and it's a big it was a big ask and we're one of the biggest unions in the country and I get that completely. But for me the government have had six months advance notice that we
0: were going to go and strike yeah, on this. But, but with respect they don't need to do anything, do they? To 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 a point. They don't they they they, they could because they think the argument is tied into inflation, well I think their debate is they're just gonna let inflation. I think the, naturally I think the question is do they want to?
1: Because here, here's the thing, do they want to resolve these issues? I don't see that they want to resolve these issues because, cynically speaking, are they playing into the all oh, the militant union bosses, yeah. or are they going to divide and conquer? You know, the the, yeah. the 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 teaching profession. Are they going to? I mean, when are they going to negotiate seriously, sit down, and actually
0: talk about these issues? Because yeah. I've seen nothing yet. Well, there's been more in the last couple of weeks from this. Uh, well, there has been. It's been mid-moon music. Yeah, well, there's certainly been some mentions about. Kind yeah, of the, exactly. But the, previously there was nothing. There was, but there's
1: there was no nothing. concrete plan there's no concrete this is no recognition of you know what teachers yes since 2010 you've had a rough time of it and thank you for all you've done and thank you for all you continue to do we recognise recognized as a recruitment retention problem so to resolve this recruitment and retention problem we want to keep experienced teachers like you, Brent. Thank you so much for giving 19 years of your life, blood, sweat and tears into the teaching profession, altruistically given beyond and beyond. You do above and beyond like many in the public sector do. Thank you very much for that. You haven't been financially rewarded for that. All I keep hearing is, we don't like your job. Mm. Go get another one. Well,
0: that's what
1: that's what people are doing. Well, that's what they're doing because that's what exactly the advice that's been given yeah, from well, government well, ministers. Well, that, hey, you don't like your job. Go get about, we heard it this week. Mm. Don't like your job, go get another one and retrain. Stroke. uh, I'm sorry, you can't get some salad vegetables. Eat a turnip. That was the advice we So fine, let's take them at face value. Somebody else can come in and teach four subjects to 417 students with 19 years experience and still be 26% down. They they wouldn't put up with this for a couple of weeks, never mind 19 years. So no. No, 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 I'm, I'm not being militant or hardcore on this. I think enough is enough, we've drawn the line, and unless they're willing to actually step up and say, you know what, and recognise the problems and have a plan in place, I don't expect them to, 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 to fully fund teachers' pay straight away, but to turn around and say, and not even recognise the problem in the first place, nah, no,
0: nah, no. Do you want to go
1: to the main? Beach? Yeah. Oh, um, do, you do,
0: do you want to do Andrew Tate? And I, the... I want to do yeah, the Andrew yeah, Tate yeah. one because
1: I think this is very relevant. And then we'll go to the news and we'll come back. And I think this this comes back to we, we, we could discuss a bit of people's rioting or toilet change, yeah. which I think we'll bring into yeah, we'll yeah, bring yeah. that into yeah. our, our main discussion, which will come after the news. So this is an interesting one because we have discussed on Teacher Talk Radio Andrew Tate, right. and we had uh, this individual from Eton College. Now he was sacked, and he was sacked. Will um, his name's Will, and he was sacked because. He, Basically, he had done something along the lines of, and this is how it goes. Um, the rise of uh, Andrew Tate's uh, influencer has been has vindicated the decision to show Eton College pupils a controversial video on masculinity, according to the master who was fired for doing so. Um Will, who was taking his uh, to, he's taken the school to employment tribunal, believes that Will uh, that Andrew Tate had tapped into a malaise among young men caused by the teaching of boys in schools. Uh, In a properly functioning education system that's given him a really robust messaging about what it means to a man, they would have had the antibodies, he says, to fight off the sick messaging that Tate is giving him. He said to the Times, when teachers try and explain why Tate isn't doing something to look up to, teenage boys ask them, well, what color is your brigadi sir? The premise needs to be attacked directly, which is that no money is the main main index of masculinity, he added. So this individual was fired for, for showing this toxic video, well, his video that was considered to be toxic and was controversial on his YouTube channel, uh, and he was sacked from Eaton for it, and he's now hit back and said, well, I was correct, I was right, look what Andrew Tate, I mean, I, this was justified and vindicated. So he's attacking the culture in schools. He's attacking yeah. that the way kids are taught in schools is not preparing them for, and not giving the, the the boys the right message on how to combat Andrew Tate, which is an interesting thing And in what we're going to talk about the cancel culture, because he would probably say that he's being Cancelled. Um, he has not been um he's he's not been taken out of the teaching profession, so to speak. He had no case to answer for their own, and I think the 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 teacher standards, etc. Um, so it's it is interesting that that has that that's resurfaced now, and and he, um, was accused by uh, feminist groups and LGBT groups of, of being completely bang out of order about the way this this video came across as as, as being they saw it as as homophobic they saw it as quite sexist. He saw it as he was preparing these boys for being men of the future and and that it's better coming from him, he's probably suggesting, than coming from Andrew Tate. Mm. So it, there there is the discussion with that. Of, of, again, you know, he's tried to do something. He I, I'm not gonna give my opinion about where I think he's wrong or right. I don't haven't seen the video. Mm. So I haven't seen the video and I don't plan to see the video to be perfectly honest with you. But this encapsulates that kind of discussion of one person on one side saying, here I am trying to teach these boys to fight this toxic masculinity, where somebody else turns around and accuses him of being the person with the toxic masculinity. So then that that begs the question is, what masculinity do we want to teach children in school? Because there's a gap that this man has felt that he's trying to fill the void. We're all trying to scramble to combat the the message of Andrew Tate. Mm. But there isn't, and here's, here's my issue is, Where is the guidance? Where is that? You know, where is the consistency? Should he have had to go off and do that? Where's the guidance for him? And we're still waiting for the guidance on things like LGBT. The government still haven't published us guidance. And that nicely leads into what we're going to talk about. It's like, what risks do you take as a teacher in the classroom with what you're teaching? If somebody can write and say, Sir, you're homophobic. Sir, you're transphobic. Sir, you're anti feminist. Sir, you're anti anti this. You know, we but, walk walking a yeah, tightrope, aren't we?
0: But they're, they're going to be brought up by our pupils and we're not going to they have the confidence, are we, possibly, to deal with these questions. No, go play it safe. Yes, yeah, so we, we end up playing it safe, which in, which, in its, which in itself could be wrong or harmful for somebody who is is vulnerable at that stage.
1: You run the risk of having a discussion with children. And I've had this discussion with children. I know of um, a student who, on their English oral GCSE, um, identifies as a feminist had a discussion about trans issues mm. and highly functioning individual that probably go to one of the top universities. And it was a difficult question to to in the classroom. And I know what was spilled over into my classroom as a history teacher and I had to deal with that and sort of like say, look, there's two sides to the argument. Please don't fall out with each other. And it was like daggers were dra- drawn. Should we allow that conversation in our classroom or should we should we just say, I'm sorry, let's this is not for this discussion here? Same as the Andrew T. Yes, yeah, so we start shutting stuff down. Is but because, because we're, we're afraid. afraid because we're afraid. Because you don't want a, you don't want a parental complaint, you don't want a child, you don't want a parental complaint. And also here's the thing kids hear something in in school, they take it out of context. How many times has a teacher turned around and used the word and used the word appropriately and then the children have gone off? I used to do this and I don't do this any longer. I used to teach about uh, William the Bastard who was the leader of the Norman army. I used to do this for year seven. And the kids were like, I went, no, that was his name. He was William the Bastard. Then he was William Duke of Normandy, and then he was William the Conqueror. And you think one of the reasons he wanted to be called William the Bastard <laughs> because why was he called that? Because his mother and father were technically not married. His, his yeah, father was literal sense, His well. mother yeah. was a Tanner's daughter, and his father was a lord, and he he was he was born out of wedlock, and that is the technical term. And it was derogatorily used, and that, that brings me to the conversation I have with the children at that time. That was used as a derogatory term. It's still used as a derogatory term now. So therefore, I don't walk around the classroom, look for somebody called William and go, William, you are. And I don't say it then. And they get that because I'm going, I'm using the word in its correct context. I should not be not able to use the word because what am I then doing? I'm insanitizing history and going. Because part of that is one of the reasons I believe that William the Conqueror became such a fierce soldier and a fierce, fierce, you know, um, conqueror is he was trying to change his background like the John Snow character out of, you know, Game of Thrones. You know, he's trying to overwrite that. He's trying to legitimise himself. He's trying to become a powerful person. Now, I know I've got to teach Queen Elizabeth later on in year in, 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 in GCSE. I have to get into the fact that Queen Elizabeth was born technically out of wedlock. And that, you know, the Catholic Church called her, you know, Elizabeth the Bastard. And she responded by calling herself Elizabeth the Virgin Queen. That, you know, I have to be able to teach this stuff. Mm. I have to be able to have that conversation. But lo and behold, every once in a while, what do I get? I get a phone call, Mr. Poems, did you swear in class? No, I didn't swear in class. I used the word bastard in the correct context. Simple as that. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm sorry that you find that word offensive. It wasn't meant in an offensive way. It's not meant to be offensive. It is meant as an historical record that William the Conqueror was called William the Bastard because his parents were not legitimately married. And then you have this week, where the SNP mm. lady, um, who's standing for election, she, on a, pull, a went, I'm a Christian, yeah. and I, this is what I believe, and she came out with what she believed, and i refreshingly honest for a politician, if you yeah, ask yeah. me, but it seems that she's committed electoral suicide, But and some have gone, no, she's actually been honest, and she well, said who she is, and others said, well, no, you can't have this person lead a progressive party. Yeah. Boom, debate has opened yeah. up.
0: Well, there's actually, she's, she's actually had some more support from the uh, Muslim community in Scotland. Uh, because the, of, the, of talking about her religion, um, so, so I know that she has picked up um, the, 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 yeah, the, the the people who want somebody who is of um, you know piety a faith a and be proud of that faith. Um, other other faiths actually bizarrely have said actually we support her her ability to mm-hmm. to to say that she is our faith and she wants to is part of her being and she wants people to know what is her choice she doesn't she she
1: doesn't she, what's her choice she turns around and somebody asks her the question and says well how do you feel about abortion and she goes I disagree with it but your party's line is yeah. to support abortion what's her other choice Would do you agree with abortion ask me the next question please yeah. well she gets accused of doing the thing that politicians yeah. get accused of doing yeah. at the same time she's leading a party that is progressive yeah. but should it matter what her personal opinions yeah. are it but, should matter what her but, job. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, well, there's,
0: there's another debate there, isn't it? About can can religions be progressive? And They probably they probably can be. But we're event. going to discuss. Yeah, We've yeah.
1: had who, who, you've had a response this morning from.
0: Her David Deal has, yeah. has, 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 has posted something an uh, incredible piece, and we'll talk about it uh, later on. Should yeah, we, yeah we, we'll do the, we'll do the news, and then we'll um, then we'll come back and go deep into this notion of cancel culture. What's going on with our literature? Yeah. And also kind of the words, as as Brent just said, how challenging, you know, know, literally what we're using is our tool, is our voice. And the words that we use are going to be interpreted. And, you know, we have to think sometimes very quickly about the words we're using. Sometimes we get them right, sometimes we don't get them wrong, and about kind of what that means to education generally. It is. It's a minefield. Um, you are willing. Uh, if you are willing
1: to call in, ring, um, send us a message, give us some feedback. Uh, we've got a couple of messages here. Uh, actually, you know, they're just to the people coming in. But you're more than welcome to send us a message, discuss the debate. We're going to have this big debate in about uh, six or seven minutes after we come from the news. But please, by all means, um, more than more than happy to discuss any of these or give us some real life examples of what we consider to be cancel culture in the classroom. We are going to discuss the wrong dial situation. And actually, Ian Fleming, which has come up this morning, yeah, was, right. literally, as we were starting to look at the show, I was reading about Ian Fleming's um, um, Live and Let Die, especially, has been rewritten to take out some references to race, for instance. And again, that now sort of uh, started and sparked the debate and, and, and add fuel to the fire of what was the Ronald gal, which I think is the wider issue of this idea of cancel culture and the idea of the culture wars, which I don't like because I don't think there is culture wars. I just think there is culture and it evolves. I, somebody put the name to something like woke and culture wars. It's putting a name to what's been happening since mankind's been cave painting. Basically, <laughs> Going back to my aboriginals, they have 40,000 years, 40,000 years of their, their culture. And they're the single biggest, you know, culture that's one culture from one to the start to the finish, you know, i.e., their culture's still going. And when you go to their rock art in places like Uluru and and um, Langi, for instance, and I and I visited those places and they're quite sacred, and quite solemn. You actually see the forty thousand layer years of layered rock art, which show. And guess what they do? Do they do they do they take a new wall? What do they do? On top of, on top of, on top of, on top of, on top of. In other words, when you are studying something Aboriginal rock art. You have they have to scan, they've They've had the yeah. ultraviolet scan to see what's under, to see what's under, to see, because, and, and then, the, the, the guy It was absolutely brilliant when I did this 20 odd years ago, he says, you can now start to date the, the, the arrival of the Westerners, the style change, the stuff that people have in the shops, now that Aboriginal art they have hanging up and they're you know, quite well-to-do, you, know, you see it's now quite fashionable in people's mantle places, you know, the, that, uh, that, that's not the traditional yeah. art form, that's been westernised as a kind of like, same as like your, um, same as like your same as you're Indian yeah, curry, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. get in your curry house in England, that, that, that's been westernised and, and kind of changed slightly, the same goes for them, but that means that their culture has been continually evolving for the last 40,000 years, yeah. and you know, somebody turned around in the Aboriginal background, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like, oh no, no, what I have having this story, because that, that that's cancelled the previous, in other words, every generation puts its twist in interpretation. So I don't like, and I'm never going to use those words ever again in broadcast Broadcast of woke, woke karate, culture wars. I don't accept that they actually exist because I think it's all part of society and culture, yeah. full stop. And I think people are using this as a kind of like a, a lightning rod to weaponize it. <laughs> um, but I think there is always it's really a debate it is but i but i think there's a definite debate to be had yeah, yeah. and not to be especially for us is extremely relevant because we are interpreters of the culture yeah. because we as you say we have generations that we have to teach the question is what do we pass down to them how do we communicate to them in the in the culture and time that they're in from the culture and time we've left from you know with material from a culture and time before we've even that's got right. and oh that's that's very that's very well oh i like that yeah. so we are let me put that together again we're trying to teach to a generation that's in the culture and time now. Current. We're from current, a previous. Yeah. yeah, so they're current.
0: We're previous. We're
1: previous. Yeah. But we're also using material from previous to previous to even previous yeah. generations, which we
0: ourselves yeah. have had to interpret and then pass on we're to we're them. Wrong. And we've been we've been taught stuff in a certain way, within a certain context as well. By so people who were a generation <laughs> yeah, above us. Right. Yeah. yeah, and they've interpreted it their way. From the, their yeah, way, yeah. which is it's an eternal yeah. thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, let's go to the news then and we'll see you back in about uh, maybe 20 minutes no six minutes nah. no, where are we
2: going? this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational a leading publisher of books directories educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the uk and beyond Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
3: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
2: STV reports that a council in Scotland could become the first to open schools for four days per week. According to the report West Dunbartonshire Council is currently considering the proposals alongside a range of other measures as part of a bid to plug a £15 million funding gap. Currently primary schools in the county are open to pupils from 9am to 3pm each day with secondary schools running an asymmetric week with seven periods on Mondays and Tuesdays and six periods daily, Wednesday to Friday. The new proposals would see primaries open Monday to Thursday with hours of 8.30am to 3.45pm and secondary schools running an eight-period day Monday to Thursday beginning at 8.20am and ending at 4.10pm. The plans were shared with parents and are for the 2023-24 to academic year. The other proposals being considered for education across the council are a reduction in the number of learning assistants, a review of grants for uniform, removal of breakfast clubs in primary schools and swimming lessons for pupils in primary four. Western Bartonshire Council says the plans would have no impact on teaching time or teacher numbers, but that savings would be made in costs for transport and energy usage. It does acknowledge that the proposals may impact upon childcare arrangements for parents and that consideration must be given to support vulnerable children plans for fifth date provision for those children is being explored. The plans are likely to find favour with unions as during June 2022's AGM for Education Institute Scotland delegates backed a motion calling for a move to a four-day week, stating that it could improve the standard of teacher wellbeing. There is some concern however on the possible impact of the sort of move on those with non-teaching roles in schools. The Council will consider proposals during a meeting on March 1st, 2023, before any further steps to consultation can be taken. The Channel Island of Guernsey has released the finding of its latest young people survey. The results seem to indicate that vaping in schools is on the rise and that there has been an increase in bullying reports amongst children in Year 8 and Year 10. In better news, 40% of pupils surveyed believe their school now takes bullying seriously. A significant increase in the 26% figure from 2019. There has also been a significant uplift in the numbers of young people who cycle or walk to school, from 26% in the 2016 survey to 40% in 2022. Year 6 pupils walk or cycle the most. In terms of health, 40% of those surveyed admitted to trying vaping, although cigarette usage was down at only 15%. More Year 10 girls vape than Year 10 boys. The survey is completed every three years. Finally, Sir David Attenborough has praised Sunderland University's decision to join BAFTA's Albert Education Partnership to teach students the importance of creating sustainable content. Students on Sunderland's MA Media Production programme will benefit from teaching on topics such as the science of climate change, the environmental impact of the film and TV industries, sustainable production practices and creating content with strategic environmental purpose. Sir David said that saving the planet is now a communications challenge. Whilst Gary Stubbs, leader of the MA programme at Sunderland said The university's film and TV department is set to take green issues to task. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
3: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
4: Hello this week. I'm asking a question that you don't dare to ask. There are some things in life that you're desperate to know, but... Just can't find the right person to ask, and when you try to search for it, incognito, of course, the answer still eludes you. Whether you're returning from, are on, or have already completed your half term break, you can count on me to address the tech issues that faces in our classroom. Today, I ask, What is that bloody big hole in my desk for? You know, the round one that's too big for a cup holder, and if I poke any wires through it, the second I unplug and change rooms, they tie themselves into an array of knots that a master sailor would be proud of. If you're driving or operating heavy machinery, pull over, I have found out what it's for and found a use for it. It's called a desk grommet and it is for wires. But it's for wires when you're not hot desking and you're staying at the same desk with the same equipment. Some clever companies have come up with some solutions that you may want to get your school to invest in. The most basic is a flexible rubber desk grommet. This simply shoves into the hole and has a star-shaped rubber grip. Pull wires through it and they won't slip back through. I found the pack of three for £7. Bargain. Invest in a bit more, you can get a kit to make it a USB charging station. Now that will be rather more useful for bouncing from lesson to lesson. The cheapest I could find was around £20. Using the search term, Desk grommet Cable Management, I found for £27, a grommet with a standard UK plug socket, two USB charging ports, and an RJ45. For the non-geek, an RJ45 is the ethernet cable socket you plug your computer into to get the internet using a wire. This goes to show there's a tech solution for everything. Do you have a tech question that you're afraid to ask? Why not send it to App TT Radio Official? I'm Steve Woods, and that
3: was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Resist. I just couldn't resist doing that. So that's uh, obviously the 1970s version of the Ronald Dahl classic, the Charlie and Chocolate Factory. And we, we were saying, well, actually, that's the 70s version. There was the Tim Burton version in yeah. the 2000s uh, with D- Deepak Roy. was playing uh, just Georgetown, one Umpa yeah. Lipa. He was then the same yeah, Umpa yeah, yeah. And then we've now got, I think, uh, a new adaptation coming out with Timothy Chal- Chaladay, who's uh, the latest Hollywood actor, to sort of put his spin on the Original Gene Wilder, mm. but it was interesting obviously the changes from generation to generation of
0: which you know, um, which Charlie in the Chocolate Factory would you identify yeah, would you, you know? would you, yeah, I mean, I always thought the original Charlie Chocolate Factory had that kind of added, the Gene Wilder had the kind of oh. almost like the Monty Python style yeah. style to the kind of um, the, the acting style. Um, but you know, we're not we're not here to do kind of uh, film reviews, we're, we're really thinking about the the words that are used in these. Um, text and uh, I do want to bring in the article that uh, David Baddiel uh, wrote today, uh, particularly on the... Um, the anti-Semitism. It, yeah, it's, it's, in the, it's in the Jewish Jewish Chronicle app, but I've shared it up on, on Twitter for you. Uh, he, his, his core argument here now is wider than the actual words, and actually thinking about the author himself, and uh, his kind of core, core point of the article is either counsel um, Dull as an anti-Semite, or leave his books alone. That there's kind of that, that's that's his that's his argument. So rather than us getting kind of has he used facts rather than he should be moved to an enormous. Actually, is there a bigger question around Roald Dahl himself as a as an individual? And um, I mean, David Bedell is calling him in this article anti semite uh, because of the things that he said in the New Statesman in 1982. Um, and you can you can read that in depth on that article. I suppose that in in that context of that time in yeah. the nineteen eighties, because old yeah. well, Dal was nineteen,
1: I nineteen nineties he passed away. Yeah. So he was well aware himself of his own cultural significance, yeah. which is unusual, you know, because authors don't always sometimes have yeah. that. The like artists, they don't always see the impact yeah. they have. Ronald Dal would have would have seen the impact of all of his work yes, all the way yeah. through. Have,
0: he, those those books would have been turned into films and those books would be... Well, I used, think he
1: inputted into yeah, the, the and original and, movie, didn't and, they?
0: and they were widely known at that point that these were kind of staples for young children to start reading from, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and he would. He was still alive at that point, and certainly in a position where he could have, uh, you know, retracted those statements in The New Statesman. if he'd... Yeah. You know, I, I, obviously, this is this is con say, so I haven't done... But for our years. generation... R- R- Rondal was a much loved literary author of
1: children's that's books, right, yeah. and and now he's become. I mean, it's the same with historical figures. You know, it's that revisionist thing of. <laughs> yes. Church- Churchill was a much loved war hero. Now you're questioning Churchill. Gandhi was a much loved pacifist. Now we're questioning Gandhi. There is, and that's what sort of gets people's backs up. Yeah. But I don't see a problem with with looking into the depth of the the person themselves. But here's my thing it doesn't change the quality of his literature. It doesn't change the quality of his cultural output. I don't see anti-Semitism in his work. I I don't think Badil would probably... If Badil felt he was anti-Semitic, he'd be saying, look, look at Ronald Dahl's work. It's got anti-Semitic tropes in it. We
0: we don't believe so. I mean, it'd be be interesting. If anyone wants to kind of help us with that, we're we're more than happy to help that. We're 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 obviously not saying... uh, We're just saying that we don't believe that we've, we've seen anything. From, from, I mean, it's been a long time since I've read a whole book. To be fair, so, to to think of a nuance of the thing, but um, it, but we 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 had the conversation earlier about musicians and uh, film actors. One and... of my favorite
1: songs from the 1980s is Dire Straits' "Money for Nothing," yeah. and I, I have that album. It's my first album when I bought it as a kid, and, yeah. and one of my favorite songs is "Money for Nothing." And there's, there's a lyric in that that would not fly now. Yeah. There's a I mean, one of my other favorite songs is is and it's not a Christmas song. To the rest, of, the rest of the world, they see this as a Christmas song. To people of an Irish vintage, we see it as a normal song. And that's the, the, the fairy tale of New York. And of course, the fairy tale of New York was, you know, lines were changed in that. Yeah. But then again, when that was written in 1986, you know, that was perfectly acceptable. I'm not saying it is acceptable now, but times have changed. Yeah. And of course, there are those that are saying
0: that you've got to change the okay, song. the song. it's a question, then. was it acceptable or was it just not challenged back then? I mean... I, I, I still think, because I remember when that when no, it when, wasn't when, acceptable when I heard that word as a kid. You still think, whoa, it still, it still, I it's, had it's, no it's, idea what that word. No, meant. no, but it's, it still sounded like a word that, that had some kind of punch to it or some kind of. I used to sing the lyrics to that. Yeah. as a kid. I, I used to ear guitar
1: out to to sting, It was actually sting, I want my and then you had the the drums going and then you had that electric guitar. And I used to to sing that word for word, and have no concept whatsoever that that word had any negative connotations. Because the naivety, that's the thing with the naivety of children. Mm. And later on in life, when I realised what that word meant, then you're like, oh, okay, I'm not going to sing that now. But that is not the thing about it. it, It's all about the degree of context.
0: So if that word's now changed, we're not going to hear um, that word being used by our school children so therefore, we aren't able to educate them around that word. Is that is that, is that part of the problem? oh, well,
1: that word can be used because it's 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 also a word for a piece of burnt wood. Hmm. So much yeah. like my William the Bastard was the leader of the Norman army. The, the, the words still exist in the language. Some of our words that exist exist, but it's the context that the words has been yeah. used. Like I say, I could walk up to somebody and say, you know, William the Bastard was the leader of the Norman army. Uh, Elizabeth was called a bastard by the Catholic Church because her parents were unmarried. But I'm not walking up to somebody Elizabeth, called Elizabeth and called William and saying that to their face, you know. Yeah. And again, it's about the communication of context and about when it was written and about having that rich conversation. But it's the risk that you now take. I mean, if I accidentally had YouTube playing and I had that song playing and a kid walks past, and I have I have sometimes got YouTube all in my classroom and I'm doing work. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite, quite famous for just having YouTube all in the background and that's my classroom and I've got music in the background. And that might be on my playlist. I've had to take that off my playlist. Yeah. Because I'm now worried that if somebody walks past my classroom and they hear me going, I want my, I want my M.T. And I'm thinking, okay, I can't sing that any longer. Yeah. But that's me being aware of the fact that I don't want to put myself at risk, that somebody might take that out of context. Yeah. And for me, it's one of my still one of my favourite songs. Yeah. But I now know that the lyrics of that belong in at that time, when, as you rightly say, it wasn't challenged. But it doesn't make me homophobic no, yeah. that I listen to that yeah. song or I even know the words of that song or still love that song. Yeah. Because that song is still that song, and yet I can, the same as the fairy tale of New York, and I'm not, I'm not completely cancelling anything from Shane McGowan because he's used a word in 1986 that's now considered to be morally wrong to use that word. You have to, it's the same as moderating our language in the classrooms, things that words that we say in the classrooms now we have to be careful about. Um, and I've had that situation. I, I got called out the other day by some of the my young people because uh, they, they'd, gone onto my, they, they'd followed me on my Twitter, <laughs> yeah. And I'd actually posted up a defense of Sam Smith. And what it did was, I'd posted up a defense of Sam Smith that I'd seen on, on on Facebook, and I thought it was very apt. And it was a picture of David Bowie, it was a picture of Kiss, and it was a picture of some of the U.S. Rocks Queen, for instance. And I had a, a line like this in my day, and there was the images of those 70s and 80s rock stars oh, right. who, who, of my day, who looked yeah, yeah. exactly like Sam Smith did. Yeah. And I put the defense up of Sam Smith by going, come on, people. You know, we, we've always had artists out there doing their thing and rocking their thing and, and dressing up like crazy people. That's what they've always done. That's what artists do. They push the boundaries. They push the boundaries of society. You know, Lady Gaga and her meat dress. Madonna has been doing that for generations, pushing the boundaries, testing the barriers. And the kids themselves, we want them to do that. But what did I get from the kids when I turned around and said, Oh, Sam Smith, he. I forgot. And I was, and that was it straight away. They rounded on me when I, you've just misgendered them. And I went, okay, sorry, what did I say? You said Sam Smith, he. You went, okay, Sam Smith, they. and, and I completely, and it was not on purpose. It doesn't make me doesn't make me homophobic. It just makes me a human being that completely forgot that Sam Smith is there. But what did the students do straight away? They were triggered into oh, they were they were in the purist mode. And I actually called them and said, "You've looked at me purely using the wrong misgender." And the first thing you do, instead of looking at the context of what the context of me defending them, yeah. you've gone straight for an easy, quick. Yeah, yeah, you've used that word. And I thought, that's exactly what's happening in society at the moment. People don't look at the rich context of things. They go, you've said that word, that must make you this. And it's the same with race. It's the same with gender. It's It's the same with a lot of things. You've used that word, therefore you are. And there's no kind of going into the context of it. And there has to be more to that. You have to have less fear about using stuff. And and that's why I think there's the two sides to this. some people out there go, you're telling me I can't use these words any longer. Why not? because that makes you this, and you think, but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, does it? Okay. What about this then, just from
0: for, for a linguistic point of view, is enormous just a better word than that to, to, to use? If you are trying to explain something, or if you want your children to read something, would you prefer them to read the word enormous with all that kind of um, What's in, ex- okay. well, just in terms of the extra for phonics and spelling and the size of the word and the way it sounds, the way it kind of rolls off, is that not a better word to use anyway? Do I prefer potato or spud? Well,
1: yeah. Enormous or fat? Potato, potato to me.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't see, I really, I struggle with that, to be honest with you, because... I, I, again, you, you start changing the words. I think, well, I'll go to, we'll go to the Pullman. Yeah, I think yeah, we'll go to the Pullman yeah, in a second, yeah. because I think he, he summarises that nicely. Yeah. Changing the words sometimes, and the In Fleming one today, I think is, is a different case in some sense. And this is where you open the nuance. Yeah. This is what's got to be nuanced. Like the, the lyrics of those songs in the 1980s that aren't appropriate now. And, and you rightly point out, maybe they weren't appropriate back then. Yeah, they're, they're, and they weren't no, challenged. They've no never appropriate, been appropriate.
0: appropriate. But they've just, just not been
1: challenged. But right. they weren't challenged, nor equally was there a kind of like a re- recognition that the damage they might do. I mean, you, you asked me the question the worst racial insult I've ever had. Go on, ask me the question. What's the worst racial insult you've ever had? Somebody called me a stupid Irish and then used the word B. Mm. Now, why would I consider that to be of the gravest insult? Because the stereotype of Irish people is we're stupid. Yeah. Paddy Englishman, Paddy Irishman, Paddy Scotsman walk into the bar. Who's the stupid one? Yeah. I'm the stupid one. Why? Because the Irish people are stupid. Why, why is that the case? Because we've had hundreds of years of hibernophobia. Yeah. Hibernophobia has basically vilified my people as drunks. It's St. Patrick's Day, I don't drink. Yeah. I'm a very light drinker. And What will I get? Well, Mr. Poland, what are you doing here in St. Sp- I've had parents even in St. Patrick's Day. So your parents walk up to me and go, "Oh, Mr. Poland, it's good to see you're here." You know what I mean? You know, you good to see you here in St. Patrick's Day. You're going to be drunk later, and I'm like, "What? What do you mean I'm going to be drunk later? What do you assume?" Yeah.
0: You could earn it now,
1: couldn't you, with a Guinea era. St. Patrick's Day wasn't celebrated in Ireland until nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties because the Catholic yeah, Church it? shut it down. We weren't allowed, we had to go to church, it was a holy day of obligation. That's why they have all those parties in New York. It's all the Irish that got out of Ireland in yeah. New York. And Liverpool and Nottingham and all those places of bait and it's all the second and third generation Irish people die in the river green and going mental with the green and like, yeah. the like. The colour of Ireland isn't even green, it's blue and gold. And that's what you get from people, is the stereotypical stuff. And that's where the tropes come from, and that's where you don't. You have that with the Dickens. Dickens has been accused of this now with the, the, the racial trope of Fagin. Yeah. For instance, is Fagin a racial trope of anti Semitism? Should now we, we we say, you know, oh we can't we can't talk about, for instance, the likes of um it's Oliver Twist because Fagin is a character in that. And was Dickens basing his character on an anti Semitic version? Harry Potter, she got that recently as well with the um the um the goblins, were yeah. the goblins seen as and it's only when you point it out, the same as when somebody points out about the lyrics of a song that I loved in the eighties, when somebody points it and says, "Oh gosh, um, should she have used the 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 the, the, the facial features of the goblins in Harry Potter ma- matched to the fact that they're bankers?" Does that play the some unconscious bias of the, the stereotypical anti-Semitic trope? And then when you when you see it, then you make the connection, yeah, then you go, makes "Oh,
0: ow, It doesn't. does it?" But those, did she set out to do that, or is that our
3: interpretation yeah.
0: of it? Well, I guess this is very difficult, and, and obviously, um, Prince Harry made an absolute kind of ham-fisted way of having this argument, didn't he, about unconscious bias? Oh, yeah. um, but, but I think he's right in, in that sense that that we all carry this uh, unconscious bias with us, and you know, and as, as, as we've said with that with that hierarchy of we learn from somebody to pass on somebody and we're trying to then navigate the new audience.
1: But you turn around and you said me earlier on in conversation. I didn't correct you. Mm. And I could correct you. And you, you turn around and you go, we're, we're, uh, how, how are you going, what are you going to do for St Paddy's Day?
0: Mm. It's true, yeah.
1: And, and I always correct people and go, St Patrick's Day, we don't call it St Paddy's Day because that was the derogatory term for Irish people was Patty. Our derogatory okay. term for Irish people was Mick. Yeah, yeah. Now you know where Mick comes from because the word Michael, but not just that. That's a derogatory term for Spanish people
0: yeah.
1: in an Irish version.
0: Yeah,
1: that's where that comes from. But when you know that, then you go. Yeah, but, right, yeah. but if one of my friends came out and says, "Oh, you, you know, oh, you Patties are like this, Paddy," I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a problem with that yeah. because it would be meant. It would be meant in the context of. I mean, you Irish people. Yeah. But should I go around and say every person? Now, I, I should. I should say you're no longer my friend any longer because yeah. I'm sorry. I don't like the way you say Saint Patties Day. Yeah. But then again, is it up to us to challenge and say, me to have that conversation well, yeah, and say, look, well, I'm, learning, you know. I'm
0: learning now from what you're telling me, yeah. But,
1: yeah. The, but every culture has this idea of what is appropriate, what's inappropriate. You you, you take somebody um, who, you know, who, somebody would trying to say, we we can't turn around in the classroom and say to a child, that child over there is fat. Yeah. So then should we have a book that we're teaching children that has the word fat in it? When we know that turning around and saying to some children, "Oh, by the way, you're, you're fat," is body shaming, mm-hmm. so I can I can see that argument. I can definitely see that argument. But then faffing around, as Badil says, faffing around and changing the word "fat" to "enormous," it's moving dachshurs on, yeah, on, 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 on the it, Titanic, it, isn't it?
0: Yeah, on the bigger picture, like he says, yeah, um, yeah. So it's a really really interesting debate. Have you had any kind of? Yeah,
1: Paul, Paul, um, our our good friend from from Merseyside, uh, has um, he said we've been cancelling as long as I can remember conkers oh, yeah. that's the health and safety police on that one yes that's true um we aren't allowed to use conkers unless you have yeah. glasses <laughs> come on yeah. um and more regularly reported so i i think grew up poll with this it's been more regularly reported and allows people to jump on the media bandwagon unfortunately and this is i think this is yeah. true this is this is red meat to the to, yeah. to, the, to the thing I mean, my, this sells papers yeah. doesn't it
0: I mean, my favorite on conkers it's just a rubbish game
1: Of <laughs> because you probably weren't very good at it <laughs> yeah.
0: and, well I remember I remember my granddad doing all the kind of soaking vinegar and uh, he, re- he really really wanted us to have a kind of uh, nuclear concrete stick. Uh, so he wanted to, to cheat completely smash it completely cheating it. Um, <laughs> but I was just I have never really interested in conkers because I just thought it was kind of it's just a rubbish
1: game anyway. In the, in the first place, so. I, I like that Paul says the enormous crocodile wasn't fat, so that doesn't make it does it doesn't make sense. Doesn't
0: yes, it? yes. So, so in that sense, it doesn't. Be a good point.
1: So good. let's go to Pullman, um, Philip Pullman, um, who is the who's a top author himself in his own time, and again one of those authors that is well aware of his cultural significance in his own time. Um, the Golden Compass, I think, yeah. and again, quite controversially, some of the adaptations of that. He's not happy with what some of the TV adaptations were of his work. I think the really, I think the movie that was made in the two thousands, he wasn't exactly very happy with. So again, it's it's interesting to see an author still trying to control. I think Stephen King does that, still trying to control their their work in their own time. Yeah. Um, and, and then obviously making sure that they, they get the cultural significance. Movie directors do the same, don't they? They always. But that's the thing we were saying about the likes of movie directors, always have, like, the director's cut. Yeah. Sometimes the studio edits out. Sometimes the publisher has a huge influence. And there is always that co- conflict between what a publisher says, the editor does, and what the author has written. So a lot of our actual books are already Anne Frank. The diary of Anne Frank is not Anne Frank. It's her father that edited that he took out all references to his flatulence, by the way. <laughs> of course he would. Okay. But there's us going, like, oh, that's the Diary of Anne Frank. Yes, it is. It's already been censored by Dad. Okay. Dad has already censored Dad. So that's originally her body of work. Not completely, because Dad's gone through that with a fine tooth comb. He's taken out references to sexuality. So we go, that's a diary of a typical teenage girl. No, it's not. It's a diary of a typical teenage girl which father's edited and yeah. then published. Yeah. So then we go, so imagine we come along now and change some of the, the Diary of Anne Frank. So we go, oh, no, go! you're changing that original body of work. No Shakespeare in school. Shakespeare in school is not the Shakespeare of what Shakespeare wrote. It's adaptations of adaptations or versions. But the Bible. Yeah. What's the most ad- adopted book in the world?
0: Yeah, the, Bible, yeah, the Bible. The Bible. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And what 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 did, what did happen is the, the the printing press for me, along with the internet, are two of the most critical things that have changed human culture. Because yeah. before the printing press, you pretty much were told what the to, you know the, the priest stood up there and says, here is the Bible according to us. You're not thinking about it. You're not reading what did that do? Publishing the printing press turned science, culture, art, music, the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation. And I think that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah. We're in some sort of, because of the internet, because of opinions, because of the over over in information and, and the media and everything else, we are now questioning everything. Yeah. And I think the problem is we're questioning everything so much now, we're losing, I think, the, 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 the context. Yeah, so and that's causing conflict. Yeah. And that's literally what, causing all those wars in the 16th century which caused all those religious wars of which like, red dwarf does a really good version of mm-hmm. you know when it has like you know, the, the cat the, the red oh uh, the original series so the cat finds out that lister is actually their god oh yes and 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 what they find out is that lister was um he wanted to, to go to hawaii yeah. and he would have like purple hats or something yeah. and the cat was like there was a religious war over what color the hats <laughs> were and he goes that was the colour, they're both wrong, and they, yeah. they, the whole, they wiped their whole civilization yeah. out because they dogmatically could not um, agree on which colour the hats was, would be. Yeah. And yet, and that's again, there's so many examples of, of people interpreting stuff and saying, This is ours, yeah. this is it, this is it, now don't change it. And then somebody comes along and reinterprets it, and reinterprets it, and they say, This yeah. is my interpretation. And then there is that conflict of I'm right and you're wrong. Do, does every generation want its own
0: interpretation? I think every generation needs its own it interpretation. Is, it needs, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think every generation needs to have its stamp on so, the world. But, it,
0: but is, that, is that part of uh, progressive life? That that, that it is going to be re looked at and reanalyzed, and and that, and that is the purpose of the next generation is to then look at what we're doing and kind of process yeah. that through their lens. Take the original Bram Stoker, Dracula, written.
1: Small, tiny book. Yeah. Now, what's that spawned? Sparkly vampires up in Northwestern America who now sparkle up, and a whole genre of that. Like vampires, werewolves, and, and from that original body, has now spawned almost a whole industry of stuff, and a whole genre of stuff, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe stuff. So the original authors sometimes, they spawn and they spawn and they spawn, and other people come along and they take their ideas and i always i often say this you take for instance um game of thrones game of thrones is a knockoff of so many other things which was a knockoff which is a, yeah. a knockoff which is a knockoff yeah. and again it's based on a lot of stuff in history and all they do is they take the stuff of the past and then they update it yeah. star wars i love star wars what's star wars but world war ii in space
0: yeah.
1: you know and and, and and then somebody comes along and criticizes steven spielberg i remember this about yeah. 25 years ago people go well, this debate is new it's not new I remember spielberg was getting rounded on because george r, r. binks was was considered yeah. too jamaican or Watto, the junk dealer, was this, again a racial stereotype of, of a Jewish guy. Um, Lord of the Rings is getting it at the moment because the the little people and the little people are a bit too Irish, um, and, and you get that, don't you? Or the orcs? Why the orcs in Lord of the Rings got the Cockney accents? But, you know you know think, do
0: you know what I mean? Do you think we're giving these um, books t- too much? Um, there's there's too much on them to give a social commentary when actually they are just what they are, just a a bit of entertainment rather than something that does need this level of interpretation, analysis, and that type of thing. For example, the English literature courses, do they kind of overdo it with trying to pull all these things apart, when probably they were just meant as, at the time, like a three-minute pop song,
1: well, yeah, the yeah, original or, The Hobbit Award was written as a, a story for his niece and nephews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the it's Nine Award was written as a short story. Yeah. And Harry Potter, what was she doing? She was scribbling down her pens, for right, ch- yeah. telling yeah. stories for her children. Yeah. And then
0: it evolves into this great cultural thing that people yeah. then go. That, that, that's the thing, though. We're, we're putting onto the book, the whole of society is putting onto the book imprinting isn't so, it? In, imprinting mm. an opinion, a bias, a, a paradigm, whatever, onto something. It was never meant for that purpose. It was meant for a piece of entertainment. But
1: then people can then say, this is my beloved well, Ronald what, what, Dahl. What, How dare you touch my what, beloved what, what, Ronald like, Dahl, yeah. like
0: anything like a, like a pop song or a chocolate bar or whatever, yeah. they are a commercially entertaining thing, aren't they? That people can decide whether... You know, there's nothing wrong with somebody saying, well, OK, I've got this... I've, I've read Ronald Dahl. I don't like the way he writes about this fat person. So therefore... I am not going to read it. and
2: but, that's, that's but fine. you have a choice. That's, that's you fine. have a choice. You have a choice. And, and
0: then people that's, well, not necessarily, people who are not so kind of overly concerned about mm. it can just carry on reading it if they want to.
1: But our problem is, as educators, is that we have an element of choice. Mm. And in doing so, when you choose a body of literature, if you're an English department, you've sure. had that choice of what do you do with mice and men. What do you do with some of the, those books that I've got? And I've taught mice and men, I've taught English with mice and men. And what do you do when it gets to that part when the N word is there? Mm. And of course what some schools have done is they've dropped it completely yeah. because they don't want the controversy. they don't want the issue they've gone you know what but equally I, I again I have to credit uh, my, my head of English we, we, we've updated in week, year nine we now have um, cane Warriors and cane Warriors, a bit like 12 years of slave. It's again, you know you're, you're not you're looking at some of these difficult difficult things. Mm. But this is what the skilled teacher is able to do. They're able to, skilled English teachers, skilled historians are very good at putting things into context and should be fearless in doing so. But I do think a lot of schools are playing it safe on the curriculum. Um, We'll we'll have a play of Pullman because I think Pullman is very, very relevant to what we're saying. And I think he succinctly puts it a little bit better than I might. Well,
3: when you're editing a book, there are all sorts of reasons for which you might. um the author to make a change or two it might be someone who's addicted to the word grin for example so everybody grins all the time you ask them to change that or it might be a, um, an unfortunate reference to something that he hasn't or she hasn't noticed so you can ask them to change that there's nothing odd about making that sort of change there are millions uh, probably of his books in second-hand editions in school libraries in classrooms in, um, in oxfam shops and the like what are you going to do about them? All those words are still there, are you going to round up all the books and, and, and cross them out with a big black pen? Um, the point is, these words, uh, these phrases and uses, language uses, do change over time. Um, for a young author now coming in who hasn't got the clout and the commercial power of someone like Roald Dahl, it's quite hard to resist the, 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 the nudging towards
1: saying this or not saying that. So that's Phil Podman. And uh, his take is, is that it happens all the time. Editing happens all the time and books get edited and the body's already out there. You, you know, that ship is sailed. It's closing the stable door when the horse is bolted. You, you can't undo the, the literature that's out there. I mean, are you going to go around and burn books in piles? I mean, that's, that's kind of... Um, people who are against this obviously quote the Nazis, they quote Stalin, they quote purges, they quote 1984, they quote censorship. Uh, you know, it was an affront to freedom of speech, uh, and I can and I can appreciate that argument. I, I get that because once that body of literature is out there, what are you to do? Hunt down every single book and say any 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 Ronald Dahl book out there that says the word fat and it is now to be deemed, you know, banned. Mm-hmm. That that's that's quite scary if if somebody was was doing that. But if you turn around and you update the book and say, look, here is much like I was saying with the Here's Blade Runner, the director's cut. Here's Blade Runner, the original release from the cinema, from the from the um, the cinema release. Mm. You have the choice then to say, actually, I want to watch the director's cut. If yeah. I've got the ending I like, where you know I want to read the original Ronald Dahl, I want to read the updated. And I suppose then as a school, it needs to kind of it needs that thought of you know the conversation of right. We're going to read the original Ronald Dahl here. Some of you might be offended by some of the words, but actually, the, these words aren't meant to offend. It was written at that time. Mm. Here's the deeper conversation.
0: Yeah. And there's a, there's a commercial aspect to this as well as not only kind of um, the editors, really Penguin. I think, I think the Penguin is kind of the, the group that's republishing. the you might have got that wrong.
1: The penguin was yeah, he? Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, I mean, there's a commercial aspect of just obviously this has created a bit of a, a storm, so they can obviously market that. So there's there's there's, 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 there's
1: James O'Brien had a really good take on that. He he was was saying, I'm not being cynical about it. He had a big debate about this the other day, and he he was like, Well, you can imagine now that there's going to be sales of the original flying out
0: the door. And also, I mean, mean, um, obviously, you've got to remember the Royal Dollar State has actually sold the rights to uh, Netflix uh, for for 50 to £500 million in 2021. Um, So there's a commercial aspect to them of protecting their investments and uh, not having any kind of, uh, kind of controversy or yeah. concerns or anything. But and I guess I'll look back to David Hill's point. I think well, some of his family are con- still con- there, aren't
1: they? I think, well, his, his, his granddaughter was an actress, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah. And, and, and uh, Sophie, Sophie and wasn't it? Yeah. So, but then again, that's the same as turning around and saying that some of the things that my my father said and I have to correct him and go, Dad, you belong with somebody in the 70s. You know, you, you you are what you are from the time that you are and to condemn people for what they used to be it's a dangerous road to go down because, as, as Paul again chipped in very well, he said, You know, if we eradicate all evidence of history or language, good or bad, then how can we see how we evolved? So, that's again, is, and I fully appreciate that as an historian because when I look at sources, one of my jobs is to put the source into context at that time, and that's one of our key phrases. At that time, what was appropriate? If you make the decisions right knowing the context, how do we know if it's right decision? Exactly. So, that's. Again, that's one of the deeper things that we have to be able to do is always put things into context. You can still use what Ronald Dahl said, you know, the same way you can use Of Mice and men, And the same way you can do To Kill a Mockingbird was always the, the controversial one as well. Uh, and again, that was turned into some of the best ones You turned into other culture. And I think that's the thing about these books is they, they, they start to spawn other, other cultural phenomena. Music, they inspire music, they inspire art, they inspire artists. Uh, and whether, I li- whether we like it or not, whether we feel about Roland, Roland Allen, it's, like it's not somebody we would advocate because of his anti-Semitic views. You have to look at the body of literature he created and say, it's really good work, isn't it? Yeah. Because you you can come in at it from all his different cultural output. It is as good as it is because so many people have read it. How did it get to be good in the first place? It got to be good in the first place because the stories were, were, were good stories. I mean, I look... My, i haven't read ronald Dall to my children if i had to read to my children now it, i'm reading the smooths and the smeds i'm going down julia julia oh what's her name donaldson's work and i love all of that yeah. and, and, I, and in fact my it's, it's now the smooths and the smeds but i look at the all of the stuff that she's doing from the Superworm to the stick man and all those oh brilliant mm. but actually look at the morals of ronald you know, you're, 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 what do you call it, um, Willy Wonka. And you ask me that question, what's, what can you gain from Willy Wonka? Well, you, you gain, what, honesty? You gain, you know, the morals in there about anti-greed, yeah, about, yeah. uh, you know, about um kindness, yeah. compassion. It's still relevant, isn't it? Yeah. Culturally speaking, what he's saying about a young boy who who is modest, and is loving and affectionate, he loves his family, grows up in poverty. That's social mobility, if you ask me. I mean, you know what I mean? The, yeah. the actual tenements of what he was saying, same as, same, as, same as the likes of Dickens. Some of the greatest pieces of work still remain relevant because they're grounded, I think, in humanity in that sense. And it's unfortunate if the author had certain views, but their body of work and the author should be separated sometimes, I think. And I, I, I agree with that Obviously, we shouldn't... Anti-Semitism is something that needs to be challenged. But then we put that into context and say we we shouldn't cancel the author. So those people out there are saying about, you know, I don't read Harry Potter now because of um, what she said. you think, I want to separate the person I can condemn for what they've said, their body of work. Well, that's something different, isn't it? That The actual work that they've done doesn't mean I'm endorsing them personally. It means that I'm looking at the work that they've produced. And if you started going around and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, to, not not read anything you could look into every author or every human being and find somewhere in their life they've committed some sort of sin And before you know it what would we be left with you know we would have no that's it i'm not listening to our streets any longer because they've got word in there i don't like that's 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 two of my favorite artists of all time i'm not gonna i think you see what i mean you you've got to be very careful about what you cancel because I think it's cutting your nose to spite your face. Because if you to, what what criteria, as Badil says, what criteria would you apply and say, we can't use this now? Am I not to watch James Bond movies? So are the old, those old movies, I love those old movies. Would you watch them now? And you have like the man forcing himself upon the woman, like, and, like Gone with the Wind. Greatest movie of all time, apparently. Has the most um, watched people of all time. Better than Avatar, more than Avatar. And yet there's scenes in that where. The, the man forces himself on the woman. The Me Too movie would be going, oh my gosh, you can't show that now. But you've got to put that in the context. It's a 1939 movie. Mm-hmm. And in those movies, the man was, you know, kisses the girl, and the girl goes, no, slaps him across the face, and then he goes, come here. And he go, it's like Mad Men. Mad Men does that. It's grounded in the time, yeah. and therefore it belongs in that time, and you can still watch it. And it doesn't mean you watching it or reading it doesn't mean you endorse the people of that time.
0: Unless you're watching it through through nostalgia of a time that you think was right, I guess that's that's the only counterargument. That, is that you're using it as a way to confirm your old biases? Oh yeah, that I mean, does. Anyway, re- re-
1: re- that re- does. Re- does that re- reinforces yeah. it when yeah, people do wax lyrical and go, "Oh, the yeah. good old days when that was." It that's true that's yeah. a really good point are there some people out there going can we go back to
0: that yeah i think so st- nostalgia is particularly prevalent at the minute in society rose tinted uh, glasses. glasses yeah but anyway we've we yeah, we've, we've run to the end of the, the, the time oh so. no we've
1: got, we've got one more one more thing i want to do and then we'll go to the we'll go to our um we'll have a little thing responsive but i do want to play this as well because i think this is fun Just like the other men, I'm tired of walking around. Oh, ooby-doo, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you, talk
3: like
4: you. Don't
3: try to kid me, Paco, I'll make
4: a deal with you. Give me the power of Matt's red flower so I can be
3: like you. Oh, ooby-doo, I want to be like you. i like someone like you. Now, you might think it's ridiculous.
1: So there you had um, two versions of King Louis from um, Disney, actually, ironically, from the 60s and from um, to 2017. And why I wanted to play that was is that King Louis does not actually appear in the original Jungle Book itself. And I wouldn't have known that because uh, if you read the Jungle Book, I mean, my access to the Jungle Book was through that the Disney cartoon. And then I read the book. And that backs up my point about the, the fact that it's out there now. You can't go back. What's interesting about the King Louis character is that uh, many now turn around and say, oh, it's a stereotype um, and want it cancelled. The, the original 60s thing. Disney was aware of how it looked, and, and, and they were very careful about who they cast as King Louis. They had originally King Louis Armstrong, who was the King of Jazz back then. You can imagine Louis Armstrong's voice with, with, with Louis then the orangutan. But they were well conscious that what the stereotype that would play at the time, and they cast an Italian-American who ended up being his, one of his greatest roles, who loved the role to the end. So it's an Italian American playing. And in the updated version, that's Christopher Walken. And what they did was they, again, they realized that they were slightly inaccurate because it was the orangutans don't live in uh, in India. So they updated it with a prehistoric, um, I think what the name mentioned in, in that. So it, it shows that the majority of people out there would probably have King Louis in the jungle book and forget that he's actually not in the Jungle Book, and would go, well, let's not let's not change the Jungle Book. Let's leave the Jungle Book as it is. Well, actually, they did, and, and the majority of people out there would have one of their favourite characters in the Jungle Book actually doesn't appear in the Jungle Book, but they wanted to keep the character, which beloved character, which is now part of the Jungle Book story, that when they produce movies about the Jungle Book, literally, there it is. There's the King Louie character. They even kept the original, sort of, little bit of the original soundtrack, because even my children will be saying, they know that song, are they no look for though necessities? And I think when we when we just completely destroy some of these these I think cultural icons without putting them into context, I think we lose a little bit. I think we lose a little bit of ourselves. So they are out there, and and, and much like I agree with Bill Pullman, you can't just simply just airbrush stuff out. And I mean, part of me just doesn't feel right about that. As an historian, it doesn't feel right about that. But we do have to update. And we do have to make sure that we're in the context of our time. But as educators, we have to be careful, of course, that we are making sure we we have our language correctly. Because you run the risk, don't you? That's the the unfortunate thing, you run the risk now of being cancelled yourself, as as we've seen some happening. And and that means you've got to be mindful of what you're doing, what you're teaching, what you're saying, because we are living in that world now where things get amplified, as Paul said earlier on. You, 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 Everything you say now can be amplified, you're taken out of context, and changed, and, and, and spit back out. So you just, so it's a horrible, difficult one because as a teacher you want to push the boundaries, but as a person you you will have to play it safe. And there's that bit of a dichotomy of, of cognitive was that cognitive dissonance of yeah, cognitive. trying trying to be like our. And I think that's the same for pop artists. I think that's the same for anybody in the creative industries out there. They're they're trying to push boundaries, but mindful that I don't think it matters. What I'm saying is. I don't think what you do these days, now. I think you're going to get criticised either way. I think if, if you produce a movie or a book or anything, there's always going to be somebody now going, I don't like that, um, reading a lot into it, and opening interpretations. And as long as I think you're honest about why you're doing it and having the conversation, um, I think that's the most important thing in, in, to have that. So that's been our um, show today. Hopefully we're not going to get cancelled after that, and we've not offended anybody. <laughs> I apologise in advance if we have. That's not our intention. Our intention is to, to create this... Discussion about this, um, and you'll obviously see in the, in the news today, James Bond is the latest, uh, which is interesting because that uh, they've just basically changed. And if I just read you the last part of what I want to say is uh, the read you what they've done with James Bond. Again, there'll be a lot of furore about, oh my, we well, shouldn't have changed James Bond. They've literally just changed some of the words slightly, um, and that's it hasn't changed the context. They've actually said that they're trying to keep it in exactly their context by changing some of the offensive words. So they've taken the N-word out and replaced it with a black person. Now, I don't see a problem with that because even in the article, when they even, we'll put it this way, the article, newspaper article that said they're doing this actually doesn't mention the N-word by name. It just says N-word. So by definition itself, they're afraid themselves to publish because they know that that is not a word that we would want our children to use. So again, I don't see a problem with changing that aspect of it. But I suppose what some would argue then as you open Pandora's box is where is, where, where do you stop with that? So there has to be, again, that discussion in context of what is appropriate and individuals not blowing this out of proportion and going, oh my, they're changing James Bond, Ronald Dahl, what's next? No, this is a natural thing that happens over time. We've always done this, not to be triggered or creating a big hoo ha about it. So remember, this, this show was sponsored by John Cat Education, and uh, we've got some fantastic titles on John Cat Education at the moment. Um, we looked at uh, Michael Zergstra. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm really going to please, please correct us wrong, if you're wrong yeah. and he's got it's it's a sage on the stage, common sense reflections on teaching and learning, and I like that because. I, I'm a bit of a sage on the stage. I'm sorry, Take, keep it to <laughs> my... time. You
0: said
1: straight as well, I'm gonna like straight away. I, and again, I have the uh, the the background of that of uh, what we call it. Um, Happy says that nothing wrong in the stage in the stage as long as you regulate it and as long as you don't overdo it. Uh, and I, I want to have a look at that because it covers everything from school discipline to knowledge of no zero policies. Uh, we also have uh, the learning rainforest, um that's by Tom Sheringham, and that's bringing different. What constitutes great teaching in his own experience as classroom teacher and the like. Uh, I like the look of that as well. So that's John Cat Education, who um, are our partners and they publish books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools. So that's a little bit of your CPD if you want to have a look at that. Don't forget, you could join us and become one of our hosts. Um, come join the Collective Hive Mind. It is Teacher Talk Radio. if we get
0: cancelled
1: then this show is available. Yes, we could get cancelled <laughs> and you could, be getting an, you could be getting a slot. So I'm waiting for the complaints to roll in. Uh, good luck with that, good luck with shutting me up because many have tried and failed as my mother said, you started talking at nine months and haven't shut up since and my response is always, you shouldn't have taught me
0: how to speak if Brent Brent gets cancelled, you're going to be very Um, soon. Great Britain however,
1: there was one last thing there's always one last thing with me this is what I want to leave you guys with this week and this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story and what I love about this is this just shows you exactly um, what what the power of, of an individual is um, an autistic sociologist who could not read or write until he was 18 has become Cambridge University's youngest black professor. Jason Arday, 37, is a global de- uh, um, had a global development delay of autism spectrum disorder diagnosed at the age of three. He did not learn to speak until he was 11. Therapists and careers advisors had predicted he would spend his adult life in assisted living and needed lifelong support. Wow. He is now um, Professor of Sociology Education at the University of Glasgow in 2021, making the youngest professors in UK at the time. He starts next month as a Professor of Education, joining only five other black professors at the university. Um, I think that is an amazing story of exactly the human spirit of overcoming adversity, and exactly what I would want any of the children that I, I teach, how they strive, how they achieve, and how we can help them along the way. But it just shows, doesn't it, that the, the power of... The human mind to be able to overcome. So I, I I just when I saw it, I thought I want I want to end this, which was a bit of a controversial show and obviously a difficult show to navigate. And we think we've done it reasonably well. Hopefully, we have uh, done it reasonably tastefully and well, and not not insulted or upset anybody. Um, And and please, by by all means, please complain to the the sky at anything we've said, but. Um, This is going to be a long running situation. I think this is not going to go away. I think this culture wars and woke stuff and everything else is is definitely here to stay. So we we probably will have this conversation on numerous occasions. Thanks for Paul for his contributions. And and thank you listeners for for tuning in during the show.
0: Have a great day.
1: Have a great day.
3: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.